1: Uh, speaking of the downfall of the RAND department, we have a note here from London. The British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC department that teaches English by radio and television, has put a little new pizzazz in their course. You know, we used to think of England as being a rather staid country. Christopher Dilke, director of the course, says a striptease model tears off her clothes. This is on television, you know, for the kiddies. This is their version of Sesame Street. As each item is removed, the teacher spells out the name of the garment on the blackboard until finally she's down to the buff. He says, which always gives the kids a great thrill. It says, Dilke said in a students, students, students pick up the language when they're faced with such interesting and compelling lessons. We feel it's a step forward in education. Yes, indeed that so would like to salute the BBC, who is once again taking the lead in the downfall of Rome department. And uh, <laughs> that's another way, you know, isn't something how everybody's trying to rationalize nakedness? Nobody just wants to admit it, you know. Now they're using it to teach English. It's very serious. Can you see B-R-A? Now say it, kiddies, after me. P-A-N-P-I-E-S. Now say that. Just, but she's just taken off. Now, say it again. <laughs> oh, man, where will it ever end? Now, all right, tonight, I've uh, got something very special for you tonight. At least it's very special for me and I think a few other people. Have you ever had the chance to visit a place, a scene of an early job that you had in your feckless youth, revisit. I would go back to some place where you once worked as a kid and a place you've never had anything to do with ever since, and you've just thought about it from time to time, rarely. You ever had that experience? It's a very eerie experience. And a few days ago, I revisited a place which formed a great, of my early life. I mean, it was one of those great educational moments in my life. It's like if a kid grows up, let's say, in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Gloucester. And uh, in his teens, he works on a fishing boat. He would never forget that. It would always form part of his life. Well, a few days ago, I went back with a television crew using tape and color tape, beautiful color tape, and we tape the show. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what you're about to hear. Turn up your microphone, your, 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 your gain there. Turn up your volume of your radio and listen to this. I doubt whether many of you have ever heard this. In fact, I know most of you have never heard this. You will never get an opportunity to hear it again. So turn up the gain and listen carefully. spectacular sights, which I can't, of course, show you, in, uh, let's say, heavy industry in the world today. Listen to these guys talk. These are, these are highly trained technicians working in the basic oxygen furnace, which is a tremendous operation inside inland Steel, one of the most modern methods of making steel. And incidentally, one of the most spectacular to watch. It's a fantastic furnace, tremendous thing that stretches stories and stories up above you. And basic raw oxygen is being shot into this flaming maw, this tremendous torch. And this is the way it sounds, and these guys are operating this thing. It's, uh, you don't get within uh, 100 yards of it before your hair starts to curl right on your head from the tremendous heat that it's laying out. These are highly skilled technicians, believe me. These are metallurgists, as a matter of fact, the ones I was talking to. And they're working this thing. It's like it's like being in charge of the of inner circle of Dante's Inferno. Listen carefully to this tape. Now, set that back. I'm afraid he back to about These tapes are unedited. These are very raw first tapes. They're cut to for a television the show. Say yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, uh, that again, Bill. The first car is green. Yeah, I'm going I'm going the now.
1: All around, yeah. Okay, now reset that, Jay. Go all the way back. You're too close to the end there. Go all the way back to the beginning of that tape. And while we're doing that, I'll mention briefly: this is W O R New York. And for those of you who are, is it too early for the station break? Uh, we'll do another one later. Keeping all those little people happy. Now, uh, well, while, while he's resetting these tapes, I'd like to remind you that we have, among other people with us tonight, we have Great Shanghai. And uh, coming up this weekend, of course, if you're coming into New York and you're scrunching around in the heat here in Fun City, you want uh, to... You know, it's it's very strange that this town is difficult to find a good restaurant open on a Sunday. And up uh, the 103rd and Broadway is a place that you uh, will find very worth visiting. It's the Great Shanghai. And they have this great Chinese brunch, which is on uh, from 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock every Sunday... And for two dollars and a half, you can eat all the Chinese food you want. They have a tremendous selection of entrees to choose from, and wonton soup and a whole bit. And if you're a kid under four feet tall, <laughs> you can eat all you want for half price. Now you can be seven feet wide, so uh, it's worth it. This is the Great Shanghai at 103rd and Broadway, and they're open seven days a week. And generations of Columbia students have have fomented revolution. Uh, sitting there over a great Shanghai egg roll. Okay? Now, uh, uh, Jay, do you have the Tijuana thing in there for us? Hello, Tess. Hello. Can I get your attention? Please play the Tijuana small commercial for me. Please. Mm-hmm. I know, that's very enigmatic. <laughs> I don't like the sound of that. But uh, uh, now, have you got some more of those up there? Now, for those of you who wonder what this is all about, uh, uh, I, I uh, went back to... I went back to uh, Inland Steel, a place where I worked briefly for oh, a few a year or so, two years, something like that, when I was 17. And uh, for those of you who don't know anything about a mill town, I can uh, only say that, that uh, the entire town and that whole region is pretty well based on steel. And uh, what happened in the mill would send ripples through everybody's lives. And all the time, uh, from the time I was a little kid, uh, you could see the steel mill laying on the horizon, just laying there, like some uh, great mountain range. It's a very mysterious looking place and it covers hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres. and of course, uh, the public is not admitted to most parts of the mill because of the tremendous danger and so forth that's involved. And as a male boy i I uh, ran all over the mill i I uh, spent six days a week running up and down the ramps going up to the top of the blast furnace and down, running across to the yard scales and across to the slag scales and through the number one AC and the number two AC and through the coke plant and the blast furnace, the hot strip and the cold strip and the tin mill and the 14-inch merchant mill, all these tremendous, tremendous mills, all in one great complex. Uh, in Inland Steel today, There's uh, 23,000 people working in this mill. And that's a pretty good-sized city right there. And it goes, of course, 24 hours a day. And the one thing that hits you when you first go to the mill, if you're not used to it, is the fantastic sounds. There's a tremendous roll. Now we'll do it. This is WOR New York. What is all this cockamamie business? Uh, But nevertheless, uh, it's the tremendous rolling great tidal waves of sound of all kinds. In fact, the sounds are so broad in spectra, that is to say they they have so many highs, that is high notes, high frequencies, and so many lows that you really can't record them. They just don't record on conventional recording equipment. In fact, they don't record on any recording equipment. Also, the, the sound level is so high that it's impossible to keep your Gained at any kind of a manageable level, and in fact, in some mills, the men uh, work in such a tremendous sea of sound that they that they've evolved a very complex system of sign language. They only speak to each other by sign language, and they can talk for hours. A guy will be way up at the top of a of an overhead crane, maybe a hundred feet above the floor of the mill, and this mill is roaring. And, uh, he's talking to some guy down on the base, down walking around on the floor down there, and they're talking by sign language. And they may not even be talking about work. In fact, one of the guys was telling me a little thing. He said, uh, he says the other day, he says he was, he's looking up at the crane, and the guy's giving him, giving him the sign language, see? And, uh, he's uh, trying to figure out what he's saying, and, it, and he's talking about lunch. And here it is, it's about 10 o'clock in the morning. He says, a couple hours before lunch. And he can't figure out what the guy's saying. He's, he's saying, lunch, lunch. And then he finally realizes what he's saying. He says, and I dropped my hard hat and I ran like hell to, to go where my lunch was. The guy had said by sign language, there's a rat eating your lunch. <laughs> so, you know, the mill is is another world. I mean, th- th- most people here in the city, of course, they think the heavy industry is the old spice plant across the river in in. Uh, Clifton, New Jersey where they make shaving cream or uh, they think heavy industry is getting a job at the Greyhound Station uh, or pushing a cart somewhere up and down 7th Avenue but this is truly heavy industry where almost everything is lethal and where the great weights and the fantastic uh, pressures and heats and and, uh, all kinds of extremes of temperature are always there Uh, of course as well as the sound and the enormous exhalations of the gigantic furnaces. Now one of the things that I remember is, is, kid, incidentally, this may surprise a lot of you, that the inland plant that I went to here a couple of weeks ago has not changed discernible (laughs) discernibly. In fact one of the guys said to me, everybody's very proud, and he says, I bet the mill's changed a lot since you were here, and I said, like hell it's changed about as much as the Grand Canyon has I mean, it's exactly the same as it was, and he had to admit, oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because making steel is making steel. And when you're making steel, it's a pretty basic proposition, and yet it's so tremendously complex. Uh, one of the things that we did, that we we taped this for a television show, it's magnificent color, and went all over the, all over the, all all over the whole plant. We went everywhere. And we had uh, we had a mobile truck, and we moved in and out. And the guys that were with me had never seen anything like this. I was the only one of the party who'd ever been in the mill. And to a man, they were floored. I mean, really floored. They were stunned. In fact, one of the guys, the cameraman, who is a fine cameraman, television cameraman, said that that uh, he just couldn't get over it, the beauty of the place. He says, you know. He says, you could take an assignment from a magazine here, and if you're a fine art photographer, he says you could spend one solid year, six days a week, ten hours a day in this place, and never exhaust even a quarter of the beauty that's in this place. Now, you have to have an eye for that kind of beauty. It's not the beauty of the conventional beauty, but it's so awesome, so tremendous, that you you tend to forget that man built this place. It's like a force of nature. It really is. And in some ways it is. After all, it's, uh, I, I suspect that the steel mill is the greatest thing that man has ever built. It's probably the, uh, the biggest operation. There are certain big dams, there are certain great uh, pl- uh, generating plants, but these are only devoted to one single operation. They do one thing. But a steel mill ranges all the way from a fleet of tremendous boats that come down from Duluth to uh, a final place where they ship out little bolts and nuts that they've made. And that's tiny compared to what they actually produce. They produce almost, well, an infinite variety of steel and steel things. But it starts all out. You know, it starts out with raw ore. A steel mill really makes steel. And when you walk around, you look at your car, you look at your refrigerator. Does it ever occur to you that somebody made that metal? Not the refrigerator, but the metal itself. They really created this thing out of this raw ore. And uh, one of the most spectacular sights is, of course, the open heart, which most people have seen in movies. But there's no way to tell you how it really is. You know, it's very personal, too. There's one guy in an asbestos suit. Who has probably one of the most dangerous jobs in, in the world, and it's his job to go down with a long pole. He's got a special kind of suit. He looks like a he looks like a, an astronaut, as a matter of fact. And at exactly the right moment, though, the whistle starts. to blow you hear, it blows in an increasing frequency, and all over this great mill, this whistle's blowing. That means they're about to tap a heat with dynamite. And with this pole, and he touches down in there and touches a clay plug, and kaboom, she explodes with a tremendous explosion. And I remember as a kid running through that place with my mail bank, and every time I was going through there when they were about to tap the heat, uh, I was going to be late that day because I, I, I couldn't, couldn't help it. I just had to watch it. It's like the most compelling piece of theater in the world. It's just so basic and so dramatic. And so dangerous and so spectacular and colorful. And the sounds are so uh, overwhelming that it is natural theater and the ultimate. For any of you who have ever, you know, who are hung on the theater, I can only say that uh, that everything you've ever seen in the movies or the theater uh, is is really just children's stuff compared to uh, about a half an hour spent in the BOF. Now what is the BOF this is a thing called the basic oxygen furnace and it's a la- it's a very modern highly uh, complex method of producing steel in, in a much quicker technique than the old uh, the old open heart which takes four or five six hours for a, for a, for a, for a heat to be ready a heat is one big ladle full, you see and in the blast, in the B O F, which is the basic oxygen furnace, it's just like as if you took a, a fireplace. Now, you got a fireplace. An open hearth is a hearth, you know. If you took a fireplace, and you know, you know what a fireplace is like, that hearth that's burning away? Well, it burns at a certain speed. Uh, using uh, air, using conventional air. Well, now, what would happen if, instead of air, you were to somehow get pure oxygen and you were to blast pure oxygen into this? Let's say you've got yourself a hibachi. You know what a hibachi is like, this little charcoal furnace? If you were to take pure oxygen, I mean pure oxygen, under tremendous pressure and blast it right down into this this coke, You'd get a fantastic fire. (laughs) It would be the hottest fire under God's creation, and that's exactly what, in a very rough form, the basic oxygen furnace is. And so, when they charge this baby they 'll put the, all the ingredients of the steel in there every, everything from manganese to scrap iron, everything, and this giant ladle is there, and they 'll turn the this this oxygen on and it 's just a tremendous sight it, uh, and, and it just radiates heat it 's just so hot that uh, that you just can 't believe that a human being can stand it and These guys, these very casual guys walking around wearing everybody has to wear special goggles in that in that area and uh, yes, and and how because of uh, of the of the complexity of course always flying through the air there because of the fantastic pressures that are involved are tiny fragments of metal and in fact one of our party was wearing these big uh, safety glasses and this piece of metal just shot across her safety glasses and left a great scratch right where eye would have been. Nobody is allowed anywhere near this place without all proper safety. You want to ask Buster's clothing to be there. And this is the way it sounds. These guys working away.
0: Yeah.
1: Here they're talking they back. they
0: yard, the moving around a little bit. There's a lot of scrap in
1: it. Yeah. So these guys are talking back and forth on walkie-talkies. Now they're widely separated.
0: Backyard. Yeah. How much cushion are you guys putting in? Things like a hell of a lot up here. We
1: don't got no fun. It's well, a right real skill, work. Here. Are they serious about their work? There's no kidding around. This is highly dangerous, skilled work. Now, that roar you're hearing, in actuality, I know it doesn't come through just the way it should on on radio and through that little loudspeaker here, but this roar that you're hearing is absolutely overwhelming. They're just about to tap this BOF. They're getting down to a critical moment time they tap it, actually, they just tip it over, and it starts spilling into these these great molds. And at that moment, that place is like Dante's Inferno Squared. Hey, who's there? I'm
0: Jerry
1: Pullman. Neil. Man, you just couldn't. invent. know are coming. You got any guns coming in. You couldn't invent dialogue like this. It's a real thing. Hey, guys, they're coming in with this box. It's full of cushions. it won't go in for
0: in there. We're waiting for brave guys with a flapper. I'm telling them to take it easy on the cushions. I know what it looks like out there, baby.
1: will blow. I'll tell you what you, you ought to do to really appreciate this. Go into your kitchen, turn your radio up, open up an oven door, and turn it up to 400 degrees. Sit directly in front of it. Have somebody shoot cigarette ashes into your eyes, and you'll know what this is like.
0: number
1: If they enjoy their work, they do. I'm really involved. It's tough, hard work, and let me tell you, every one of them says, you know, you go home now and you've done really something. You've really done a job. Uh, these people don't have any trouble with identity. <laughs> Just keep it going. It'll come back in there. These you people about seven o'clock.
0: Thank you. You have the first car of Christmas have to a dealer. Well be that's idea. Yeah again
1: okay you have to set that way back kids you you just there's no more no more time all right okay I don't know what you're saying it was you just said uh but then go on past that point can you go back past it instead of setting it back go forward okay? Uh, these tapes have just come in and they're, they're absolutely, as you can tell, raw. These are totally un, un, uh, edited or anything like that because I want you to hear just what it sounds like. Uh, one of the things that surprised me, and this really did throw me, I arrived back in the mill. Now, I hadn't been there since I was 17. And would you believe it, guys at the mill, there were guys at the mill who were there when I was there and they remembered me. <laughs> They really did and one guy comes up to me See, he's got these great big goggles on he, he puts out his hand he said you remember me and I said yeah Chester Gotch and he says hey he said uh, how'd you get in television I <laughs> to figure out how I made it from the mail you know and uh, this, this whole scene was so uh, was so surrealistic so to the people who were with me that uh, it took a couple of days for them to even get oriented to, to, to the fact that they were actually seeing something real uh, of course, to anybody who worked in the CML with, within a short time, I, I felt quite a, quite a bit at home. I'm getting a message from the control room here, so we'll see what it is. Okay, now, I'm going to let you hear something which is really something to hear. Uh, this is a tape which I recorded on the open hearth floor. Now, the open hearth floor... Of course, you've probably seen films of this. John Wayne, I think, made a film called Pittsburgh. Uh, but the open hearth floor is is the scene of of uh, probably the most basic operation in steel. And any guy who's ever worked on the open hearth floor has been there. I'll tell you, he's he's no seriously, he's been there. Uh, this is combat. Uh, it's dangerous. It's hot. It's extremely tough work not only physically but mentally because there's always danger present on the open heart floor and the open heart is just that it's an open heart in fact you ought to take a look in your dictionary and see how they describe open heart it's a its a system a series of of, of open hearts and uh, great ladles and tremendous cauldrons of, of, uh, of molten metal now there is a man who is in charge of all this he's like the chef Uh, He's in charge of four or five open hires and he's called the melter. His job is to know precisely when that metal is right. And each heat is a different kind of metal. They're not just making steel. They're making all kinds of steel. There's low-grade steel. Some are very high-grade, expensive steels. Some are extremely hard steels, manganese steel, tungsten steels, and so forth. And uh, a man can make a mistake in this situation that will cost the company hundreds of thousands of dollars on one badly tapped heat. So he's really on the firing line. And the second melter, the first assistant melter, the third melter, these are all highly complex jobs. They're not really assistants. They're all various specialists in their own right. Now, this is the way it sounds on the open-hearth floor. Okay, we're living in the, uh... And I'm doing a little it's commentary it's on the furnace now. I'm going somewhere else. The sound of the open-heart floor, we're standing about uh, 20 or 30 feet above the open-heart, and uh, they're going to stop the heat in about 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm looking down the length of the open-heart floor, which is a good mile or so in length, and all the building that's in is probably 30 stories high and 30 stories lower to ceiling. And this is the sound open-heart floor, just general sound. And you see tiny figures moving up and down the the, uh, steel ramps on the open-heart, watching this great cauldron through uh, blue glass going down on the floor now. And occasionally one will dart forward and take a sample of it. He has a long ladle and he just reaches, literally reaches right in and takes a label full of molten metal and runs back out with it. Just like a cook taking a sample of his spaghetti. And they judge the heat by that. This thing is being judged down to the split second because its steel changes the longer it cooks. to hear the open-heart sound. This is called the open-heart floor. When you put the out on the open-heart floor, that's it. How about this dramatic? See
0: him checking him? See a guy walking by with a black house and he's looking in there. Oh, yeah, that's a different world. Yeah. These are men really working.
1: I mean, he's the chief cook of the whole thing. He's tremendously high paid. You can tell by looking in there just what it's doing. You not believe it. See, what happens is the melter is so so highly skilled that he looks into the furnace. they will open up a little slot and he can look into the furnace wearing glasses that look absolutely black to you. And he can tell by the surface of this fantastic sea of molten metal and by the color, the like subtle gradations exactly where the heat stands.
0: one the
1: He says this is the glasses of ignorance. i an open half door,
0: which is open.
1: Well, they just opened the door, I see, you can see this. It's this incredible sight. It's white hot. It's metal, that's so liquid, it's even more liquid than water actually. imagine steel bubbling? a standing next to me, looking at me like uh, he's done TV people. That's a charging car. What's the charge one. I know, a charging car was coming along. A charging car is It's a rail car that charges these furnaces. Yeah, see how they put yourself in these metal
0: They're putting manganese, various chemicals that are piled up here. Yeah, boom. This, this is like a big... Like a big uh, here, You're
1: looking to see him. A lot of this is manual. A guy will run up to the furnace door with two or three shovels of silicon, for example, just shovel in. And wearing these black glasses and asbestos coat, and he'll run like hell back again. And it's like a scene out of Dragnet, really. Card in the mail department of BBDNL, Fred. Every day you ought to get down on your knees. <laughs> Chicago area, inland steel at Indiana Harbor, Indiana, which is just south of Chicago. Many of you have probably uh, flown over it going into uh, Chicago. And, uh, and didn't know what you were seeing. Uh, probably a lot of you uh, went through it in, in a train cage. No, it's about 85, 86, and
0: foot,
1: Uh, what the uh, yeah. camera speed. See, this is called a kind of technical camera shooting. You don't need that much to get that. <laughs> you there? Oh, you ought to shoot right out there. I'm arguing about meter regions. Well, listen to that roar. Uh, yeah, I am not on a it uh, A simple sound. Of course, when you're there, it's, it's deafening. Uh, One of the hazards of working in this mill is quite often the guy's hearing becomes impaired. Constant pressure in the air comes after a few years. And it was really hot, too. Uh, but not as hot as you might think. Now just keep that oven door open. Turn the oven now to 550 degrees or about the tap. <laughs> you notice that the hair on the back of your hand curves Listening to the open heart. I just want you to hear this uh, tomorrow when you start writing about your job, you know, when you're standing by the water pool. over there at Young Camp, yeah, you'll know that there's another way to live, friends.
0: Right? <laughs>